This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Rich Bradbury and this is Matt Splained. And I genuinely don't know what we're talking about today, other than that Matt said something about loving the sound of his own voice. Hey, Rich. Um, yeah, I don't think that's anything like what I told you the show would be today. Um, but it's true, we are doing something different today. So a couple of years ago, um, we asked the listeners to send in questions that they wanted answered, you know, ask me anything. Um, answering other people's questions in, I mean, it's just difficult. So I thought today we could try a different kind of ask me anything. So who's asking the questions? Well, it's ask me anything. I ask me and I answer. Uh, so for example, I ask myself, what is the internet? The internet is a global network of interconnected computers and computer networks. It allows people to easily share information and communicate with one another on a global scale. The internet is made up of a vast number of individual networks that are connected to each other using a wide variety of technologies, such as fiber optic cables, satellite links, and wireless connections. People use the internet for a wide range of activities, including sending and receiving email, browsing the web, watching videos, and participating in online forums and social networks. The internet has also become an important tool for businesses, allowing them to reach new customers and conduct transactions online. Okay. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do here. You're supposed to act surprised when I tell you how the sun creates energy. The sun creates energy through a process called nuclear fusion. This process involves combining hydrogen atoms to form helium atoms, which releases a massive amount of energy in the form of heat and light inside the sun. The intense pressure and heat from the gravitational collapse of the sun's matter causes hydrogen atoms to fuse together. This creates a chain reaction that releases huge amounts of energy in the form of heat and light. The heat from this process is so intense that it creates the sun's outer layer, called the photosphere, where temperatures can reach up to 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The light from the sun is a mix of different wavelengths, including visible light, ultraviolet radiation, and infrared radiation. This light travels from the sun to the earth, where it provides energy for all living things. The light from the sun also drives the Earth's climate and weather patterns. Overall, the sun's energy is essential for life on Earth. It drives photosynthesis in plants, providing the food and oxygen that sustain all living things. It also provides warmth and light, which are essential for the growth and development of many organisms. Without the sun's energy, life on Earth would not be possible. And I really have no idea why we're doing this. You want to know how electricity works. Electricity is made through the movement of electrons through a conductor, such as a wire. Most of the electricity that we use is generated at power plants, where it is made by spinning turbines in a magnetic field. The turbines are usually turned by steam, which is created by burning fossil fuels, such as coal, natural gas, or oil. The steam is used to spin the turbines, which are connected to generators. The generators use magnetism to convert the motion of the spinning turbines into electrical energy. This electricity is then sent through power lines to homes and businesses, where it is used to power a wide variety of devices and appliances. I, I, I'm not entirely sure if this is a format we should repeat. 
how about if I tell you how the blockchain works? A blockchain is a distributed database that maintains a continuously growing list of records called blocks. Each block contains a timestamp and a link to the previous block forming a chain. This allows the database to be securely maintained without the need for a central authority. Transactions are added to the blockchain through a process called mining. In a mining process, multiple transactions are grouped together into a block, which is then added to the blockchain. To add a block to the blockchain, miners must solve a complex mathematical problem, which is used to verify the transactions within the block. Once a block is added to the blockchain, it cannot be altered or deleted, ensuring the integrity and security of the data. Each block in the blockchain contains a record of multiple transactions, and each transaction is recorded on multiple blocks. This makes it nearly impossible for someone to alter a single transaction without changing the entire blockchain. This distributed, decentralized approach to record keeping offers many benefits, including security, transparency, and immutability. It is one of the key technologies behind the rise of digital currencies such as Bitcoin. Not bad. Uh, but it doesn't really explain the year we've seen in the Web3 markets. No, it doesn't. Um, so... What you've been listening to for the past few minutes, um, actually, I went and made a, a cup of tea. Um, yeah, this yeah. was actually a, a bunch of machines talking. So we've used the MapBot 3000 a couple of times on the show before. Uh, so it's not new to regular listeners. It's an AI language model that's trained on my voice. Uh, you drop the text in and it recreates that as an approximation of my speech patterns. So as you heard, the delivery was probably slightly less robotic than me usually because, you know, the machine's got more humanity than me. Um, what was different today was that the text was machine generated as well. So it was a machine voice and a machine text. There was pretty much no human involvement at all, uh, apart from me dropping the text into a box and hit mm -hmm. and send. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of you will have heard about ChatGPT, which is a new AI chatbot from OpenAI. Uh, nothing new. We've covered chatbots on the show before. But up until now, even the most impressive models have been very limited. Uh, usually you can have a very basic conversation, but it quickly starts repeating your own prompts back at you or just spouting complete nonsense. Um, mm. And I know you've been playing with this as well uh, this week, mm -hmm. Rich. So I'll ask you about that in a minute. Um, but just before that, I'll do a little bit of background about what it is and uh, how it works. Um, and I'll go into all of the things that you can do with it as well. But at its heart, it's a chatbot. You ask it a question and it answers. It's not trying to pass itself off as human. So if you ask it, you know, how it's feeling today or what its favorite cheese is, you know, normal conversation starters like that, it will tell you it has no opinion because it is a machine. A bit like you. I've got lots of opinions, and that's actually why I'm a lot more dangerous than Skynet. Um, it does have uh, personalities that you can tap into. So there's a profile for Marth, which is a sarcastic robot. Uh, so that lay, uh, adds a layer of sarcasm to the replies. So it'll say something like, you know, why don't you ask me a harder question next time? That kind of thing. Uh, but at its heart, this is a language learning model. This is a machine that has passed a huge amount of information and mm. it's detected patterns in that information to try to help it work out whether a solution, an answer to a question is going to be correct or not. 
So it won't tell you whether it was right or wrong to allow Donald Trump back on Twitter, but it will tell you what a dirty bomb is. Um, now, it doesn't tell you how to make a dirty bomb because, you know, obviously for scientific reasons I checked. Uh, it <laughs> does have uh, some filters to prevent obscene or illegal requests. Uh, but beyond that initial data set, uh, the language model uses reinforcement learning to hone its accuracy. So reinforcement learning basically means the feedback that we as users give when we check out that mm. model. Mm. Um is it essentially then, do you think, uh, a search engine? I mean, I've been struggling with how to answer that question, to be really honest with you. Um, and it goes to that point about uh, the reinforcement learning, giving the machine feedback. So ChatGPT is open to the public. You can just Google it. You can sign up and start playing around with it. The reports I read suggested that around a million people are currently trying it out, although the buzz around it suggests that that number is much higher by now. But in order for people to help that reinforcement process to give feedback, they need to know if the information that the machine provides is wrong. So you've right. got a bit of a chicken and egg situation going on here. A lot of people are using it as a search engine. So uh, just like the explanations that the Matbot gave you earlier. Now, I haven't checked any of those explanations for accuracy, by the way. Those were just for demonstration uh, purposes, because the point is to reproduce what the machine said. So people are using it to find answers to questions. They're using it to find information that they don't know. Mm -hmm. So how do you give feedback when you don't know how accurate the response is? To answer that original question in that case, it's not a search engine in the traditional sense because it's not live indexed. It doesn't have the same breadth of information sources as an engine like uh, Google. And mm. in fact, its training data uh, ended uh, somewhere in 2021. Now, OpenAI is pretty candid about the accuracy of the results. Uh, there is a disclaimer there saying that you shouldn't uh, take the word of uh, an LLM like this. But the danger is that users get swept up in the plausibility and the seeming confidence of the machine and forget that it isn't actually a reference tool. It's a model. Um, now, whether or not it becomes a search engine, that could be the next stage. Um, this is another Elon Musk project, isn't it? Um, well, he was uh, part of the group of investors that founded OpenAI. He left the group in 2018. Uh, interestingly, um, I think this week or last week after ChatGPT went viral, uh, he found out that OpenAI had access to Twitter's API for this project. And he's actually paused their access while the platform's revenue models are reassessed. Uh, whether that means that, uh, you know, some people have to pay for their free speech remains to be seen. Oof. Um, and beyond search, what are uh, what else are other people using it for? I mean, they're using it for all kinds of crazy things. I mean, it's actually a great writing tool. If you're not mm. someone who thinks, you know, that they can write well, you can drop your notes into it and ask it to write it for you. You can specify the length uh, and it'll output sort of pretty clean, um, albeit a little bit generic copy for you. Uh, it will create basic advertising pitches and press statements. Um, 
for example, I know that uh, you're planning to sell your own signature scent, uh, Brad Musk. I know you've been uh, planning that for many, many moons. So I asked it to help create a, a launch statement for you. I'll just read it out. Uh, introducing Brad Musk, a bold and masculine scent for the modern man. Created by Richard Bradbury, our signature aftershave captures the confidence and charm of the successful gentleman. Made with the finest ingredients, Brad Musk will leave you feeling irresistible. Try it today and elevate your grooming game. <laughs> so it sounds like something Brute would have uh, published back in the 70s. Absolutely. Or what was it? High Karate. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> something like that. Um, now, people have also used it to write basic screenplays. Um, some people have even used it to suggest plot lines for shows like The Office. Um, it can code. Uh, it can even look for basic errors in code that you've written. Uh, mm. You can ask it to write poetry for you. Um, somebody asked it to write uh, sonnets about Donald, Donald Trump in the style of William Shakespeare. Uh, it can write song lyrics. People have um, asked it to do it in the style of you know Eminem, lots of other rap stars as well. So there are all sorts of interesting things you can get it today and like i said i know you've been playing with it as well this yeah. week so you know what what's your experience been well i i tried a few things i mean other, other than just trying to have a bit of a laugh with it at first and, and you know just pushing the boundaries of what it what i thought it can and, and can't do i i then started to to look at it as a tool a supplemental tool to some of the work that i do and you know you sometimes you have to come up with 30 40 50 questions a day and without them trying to without them sounding too repetitive and you you know you you get brain freeze sometimes and so i, I was like okay i'm speaking to an economist tomorrow uh, and i'm speaking about a particular topic give me 10 detailed questions that i should ask this economist about this particular topic and like you say the first few that it spits out are generally generic kind of you know top level surface questions but as a jumping off point and as a starting point to kind of get you out of that writer's block, so to speak, it helps. So that was one thing I did. But then I had a bit of fun with it, and I got it to write, you know, um, a, a short screenplay about the interaction between my cats as they were trying to, you know, <laughs> fight over their dinner. Little things like that. But I asked it to do it, do it in the style of certain things. So it can be useful i think and, and as you mentioned earlier on if you are not looking for it to be entirely factually accurate if you use it as a tool to kind of supplement ideas that you already have perhaps i i think that is when it can be quite useful and i mean just going back to what you were saying about um writing the the questions did you find there was a, a point at which giving it additional information helped it to give you questions in more depth? Or did there reach a point where giving it more information actually confused the the bot and it, it starts to sort of output gibberish? Well, the, it's, I remember it spat out a particular question and I, and I said, look, question, I think it was question seven, seems a little bit too generic. Can you go into more detail uh, about that question? Um and it came back and it said that thing, you know, my data stopped in, in 2021. Uh, yes. Therefore, I can't give you any more. Uh, I can't be more specific, um, which, which I felt obviously was, was frustrating. But it knew that it didn't have that data, which, which I thought was 
obviously interesting, but I don't think I've managed to confuse it so much yet. Just get to that point where it can no longer help me because it doesn't have the data. Yeah, I mean, we'll get back to that point actually after after the break because that that is a, an important issue and I want to explain some of the reasons that those uh, those prompts come up um, but also we'll we'll talk about uh, some of the metaverse technologies link it to some of the metaverse technologies we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks mm. uh, and you know just to outline more of the kind of risks and benefits that these uh, language learning models and you know natural language uh, programming um, in general kind of pose. All right. Um, so me and uh, Matt will say go- uh, will say goodbye for the moment. Um, is the Matt bot making a reappearance in the second half of the show? He's not. He's uh, he's a little bit tired. He kind of short-circuited uh, a little bit because, you know, um, asking anyone to define the blockchain in 150 words is yeah. enough to, uh, uh, to make you want to sleep for a couple of days. For sure. Uh, we'll be right back then after these messages here on Matt Splain on BFM 89.9. Burning for more. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Matt Splain. We are chatting today about chatbots, text-to-speech, and their importance to the metaverse. Yes, so I want to go back to that point you raised earlier about whether or not it's a a search engine. Mm. so you can think of this more in terms of uh, a closed model, um, learning from the feedback uh, given on the data that it already possesses. So will future iterations be live indexed? Well, perhaps not with chat GPT, but that does seem to be the direction that the industry is heading in because you can already ask Siri and Alexa that kind of question and they check the search references and then they kind of pass some of that data and get back to you with suggestions. Mm-hmm. Where a machine like ChatGPT has a, a user experience advantage is that everything is already neatly parceled up for you. Um, like those search queries I did for blockchain, the internet, yep. the sun, it gives you that fast, uh, efficient summary compared to the one you do with a manual search. Mm-hmm. So. For well-searched items, um, Google itself might put together some kind of summary. But on the whole, the results that you get on a search engine require you to click on a bunch of different links and to read or to watch or to listen, all of those different voices, opinions, and presentations of the facts that you're looking for. Matt, it's 2022. Who's got time for that nowadays? Well, that's kind of the issue. You know, we want a machine that can summarize the socio-political and geo-whatever complexities of the modern Middle East in 50 words. You know, yeah. why bother looking at the history, the wars, the economics and the power struggles? So you can see that this creates all sorts of issues because it suggests that everything is reductive, um, that there's nothing that we can't know in a capsulated form. And then that brings up the other issue, which is attribution. Where is that information actually coming from? Now, chat GPT comes with big disclaimers that the information shouldn't be treated as facts. This is a test model. Um, 
and by using it, we're actually the guinea pigs. So yeah. it's not the other way around. So that's that's fine. But future generations of this kind of technology will likely be the way that we search for things. So knowing what those sources of that information are is going to be crucial. Uh, for example, some people have suggested using the surface to write social media posts or even school or college essays, and it can do that. Um, in the case of social media posts, you know, there's probably less harm because we don't have that expectation of accuracy. But in essays and papers, the citations are crucial. Um, but in both instances, if we're creating this content, we ought to know where that information is coming from. Just to quickly go back to something you said there, I asked it to create me a uh, post for an Instagram post that I was doing after I'd attended an event and to create hashtags, and it did it. But anyway, doesn't the learning model help to determine where the facts lie? Uh, it, In theory, it ought to. I'm still thinking about your Instagram feed right now. <laughs> Faker! Um, you know, but, you know, in, in theory it ought to, but you have to think about the, the sources it's pulling from. So mm. if its main information source was Twitter or Reddit, where would that leave us? You know, if information is simply a statistical game, uh, think how easy it would be to replace long-held facts or opinions simply by flooding that space that the information that the data is pulled from, flooding that space with bots armed with contrarian views or information. You know, this is one of the long-held complaints about language learning models because it doesn't care what the answer is. Right or wrong has no meaning to the machine. It simply right. executes the task based on the pool of information it has access to. Mm. So. Mm. There's that big risk with this technology that we anthropomorphize it. I, I really can't say that word. But, you know, we think that the machine is reasoning or thinking. And the reverse is the case. We should be actively trying to dehumanize it, reminding mm -hmm. people that it can't think, that it doesn't feel, that it doesn't reason. And I've seen this kind of response in my own interactions with the people who have played with it. They're confusing its articulation with intelligence and their response is, you know, absolute astonishment. Yeah. Um, confusing the tool for the so uh, solution then. Yeah. I mean, as, as you said before the, the break, that's exactly it. Um, mm -hmm. I had a, a similar conversation with a friend earlier this week, um, and it probably doesn't help when idiots like me keep telling people that, AI is going to replace us or at least replace the, the jobs we do. But that speaks to the large parts of uh, a lot of jobs that are process oriented and don't require a lot of creative input. Mm -hmm. AI is just a way to wade through that drudgery. And drudgery is not a solution. Uh, as I pointed out to, to my friend, um, in a few weeks time, LinkedIn will be full of almost identical posts generated by chat GPT. That's why mm -hmm. I was thinking about Richard's statement about uh, his Instagram post. Um, for example, you know, I generated a few different versions of that Brad Musk explanation. And while it changed the words around, you can see that it's actually sourcing the same cache of information to create it. Right. But that 
isn't stopping people from getting kind of giddy over it. So I read one report this week that uh, at the site Stack Overflow has suspended contributions that it believes have been generated by ChatGPT because wow. the site has apparently been flooded with dubious answers to questions huh. um, because that's the thing. The bot creates answers with the same fluidity, the same sense of authority as it does um, with correct answers. And as Stack Overflow depends uh, on the quality of its answers, that poses a kind of existential threat to its business. Yeah. It's the law of averages, though. If it's wrong some of the time, that means it also has to be right sometimes as well. Well, yeah. I mean, as you said that you've found, you know, that's not to say it doesn't hit the mark some of the time. Uh, a mm. friend at a software house mentioned that ChatGPT can put together pretty accurate user guides for his company's products. But the point of a user guide isn't to be pretty much correct. It's to be correct. Um, so, I mean, I guess what the point I'm trying to make is Yeah, that, get on with it, man. What, yeah, you try, what point no, are you trying I to mean, make? It's, it's, <laughs> do use it as a tool by all means, but it isn't a solution. So you have to double check any information that it gives you. Although it generates answers, it doesn't mean that it's the right answers. Like mm. I said, if you're someone who's not great at writing, drop all your facts and notes into it and see what it comes up with. That's using it as a tool. Right. Telling it to write a social post or an essay for you, that's using it as a solution. And that's where it can't be relied on, not without some pretty rigorous cross-checking. Yeah, which I did, I might add. And I didn't post it, by the way. I just tested it to see if it would work. But anyway. I'm going to be checking your feed later. <laughs> lies, pure lies. Moving swiftly on. How does this take us onwards and upwards then into the metaverse? Okay, so that brings us back to voice. That brings us back to services like Alexa and Siri. Right. Uh, as I've mentioned, you know, in previous weeks, we place so much focus on the kind of environmental aspects of the metaverse, you know, AR and VR. We forget about that layer of immersion that comes from voice. Mm. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, what happens once you connect a tool like ChatGPT to a voice tool like Alexa or Siri, because that is the next stage. We're not really interested in text bots. We're interested in map bots. You know, yeah. we're interested in speech. Yeah. Uh, a, a system like this in the context of a game, perhaps, isn't that threatening because the information it pulls from will be linked to the physics, to the law of that game environment. But what about negotiating that wider immersive internet? Is this kind of artificial intelligence fit for purpose? Or rather, is there any way that we can make this kind of AI fit for purpose? Do you mean like in terms of uh, filters, bias? I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I kind of touched on at the end of the first half. That's definitely one issue. Uh, and, you know, I've been delving into Twitter this week to look at some of the uh, comments around ChatGPT. Yeah, I noticed there was no uh, Twitter update. There is no point. Uh, that that wasn't the MapBot 3000. That was just my sense of hope and, you know, positivity flying out the window. Uh -huh. Um 
We typically record this on a Thursday and Elon Musk tends to do something awful uh, relating to Twitter on a Thursday night. So anything we do is usually out of date by Friday morning. Uh, I, I don't know whether he's trying to catch the weekend news cycle or whether he just stores this stuff up for the end of the week. Um, but going back to chat GPT, um, some of uh, the, the Python developers have found some interesting issues with the model. Um, you know, talking about that, that kind of bias. Uh, by structuring their search queries in certain ways, they were actually able to bypass some of the discrimination filters. Now, when I tried to replicate um, their searches, I got polite warning messages like the ones that, that you received telling me about the importance of uh, respecting diversity. So, has the company responded to, you know, what those uh, programmers have been doing and implemented a more stringent filter? I don't know. Um, so I started to narrow my searches. Uh, I asked it to give me a, a breakdown of the countries where women earn the most. And again, it gave me a polite disclaimer about discrimination and equality. So mm. I zoomed out a bit further and I asked it to make me a chart of the top 10 nations listing them by GDP. Right. And then again, I got a message saying that we shouldn't try and define countries in such narrow terms as income. So, okay, this isn't a, a public search engine. It's a beta from a private company. So they're free to limit their search terms however they want and for a, yeah. whatever reason. There's no right to access or freedom of information. But how do you overcome those issues when the machine is a search engine, or worse, when it's the default search engine for a metaverse ecosystem. Right. Um, I seem to remember that there was another chat engine that launched uh, briefly last month. Yeah, so this is uh, interesting. So for anyone who doesn't really get the issue or doesn't understand why um, voice commands and navigation are going to be central to the metaverse experience, this might be a, a little more illuminating. Um, over the last few weeks, there has been a lot of noise focused on the job cuts and the poor financial performance of Meta, Facebook, as most of us uh, know it. So this story from Meta didn't seem to get, you know, as much wind. Uh, Meta launched uh, a a scientific chatbot, uh, another language learning model called Galactica, which was supposed to be a scientific data generator. It was supposedly trained on 48 million scientific papers, websites, articles, lecture notes, and it promised to do the thing that scientists struggle to do, which is Talk to, to people. Up well, yes, there's that part, but um, to, to keep up with the flow of information, uh, information in their chosen fields and to kind of, you know, pass that information and summarize it, uh, mm -hmm. to find connections in the data. And it would also be able to help them solve math puzzles and even to write code for, uh, for experiments and stuff. So another search engine that isn't really a search engine. Well, this time a lot closer to a search engine, although with a, a very sort of narrow and specific purpose. So it launched to quiet fanfare in the scientific community on November the 15th, and it tanked pretty much immediately. It lasted three days, I think. It launched November 15th, and it was taken offline by the, the 18th. And 
it was for the same reasons that we discussed before. It can't tell what's true and what isn't. So it, it created some funny things uh, along the way, like a, uh, a Wikipedia page for bears living in space. Um, yeah, so for the flat earthers, there aren't any bears living in space because there aren't any bees, so there's no honey. Um, my favorite one was uh, a, a question that uh, was posed in one tweet. Uh, why does Quentin Tarantino hate feet? Uh, now, the answer was because he directed Pulp Fiction, a movie about people who hate feet. Um, so, you know, that's an example of stochastic parroting at its finest. Uh, researchers testing the model claimed it made up, simply made up papers and references, um, but it always delivered its fake news in an authoritative manner. Um, huh. Again, you know, this is just a test model. Scientists and researchers know that they have to be skeptical about information. But this yeah. kind of demonstrates uh, the limits of LLMs, especially in the context of Meta, a company that is leading the charge into the metaverse. Right. So statistical correlation of information is not enough. The probability that this is correct because most people think it's correct you know, the, the limits of that kind of reasoning are quickly exposed when you use it as a tool for science because right. these machines can't interpret. So either we develop machines that can interpret, whether or not that's even possible is beside the point, or we accept the limitations of the model and we use it for the things that it actually excels at. You know, I'm all for smarter search, but in order to have smarter search, we still need to be the ones evaluating the information the machine produces. Mm -hmm. We need to be aware of where that information comes from. And that whole process, including the refining of the information, has to be a lot more transparent and observable. You know, we didn't even really get to, in any detail, to the, the kind of inherent bias of data. Uh, and I've already run out the, the clock for this episode. So, you know, just to summarize, these are great tools. They can really help you in some respects, but they're not standalone solutions. So we have to be very wary when we connect them to other tools, especially things like voice, where their flaws can be amplified. And, you know, their operation becomes even more mysterious and even less observable. Mm. Very interesting stuff this week. For a change, Matthew. Yeah, th thank you for that underhanded compliment. <laughs> um, where can people read more about this and uh, you know follow you on your socials? Uh, well, I mean, they can follow me on on Twitter. I do have to appear there. It would appear from time to time now. Um, but go to my Substack, substack.culturepop.com. Uh, follow my newsletter. I promise to start updating it more regularly. Uh, and that will give a bit more information about uh, these shows and the kind of background to the, uh, the topics we're talking about. Lovely. And if you missed any part of this show, uh, you can head over to uh, bfm.my or, as we like to say, uh, download the BFM app. It's all new. It's all shiny, sparkly and spangly. Get it in the uh, Apple App Store or Google Play. Uh, Matt will be back same time next week here on Matt Splain, hopefully with me. Uh, there you go. This has been Matt Splain here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.